maybe this is finally your year to take your songwriting and actually start recording your songs. Maybe you plan to record a five-song EP this year, or maybe you are slowly working your way towards creating a full-length album, or hey, maybe you just want to release a few songs that are fully recorded and are more tight than something like just putting up your iPhone and taking a video of yourself playing a song. Regardless, in this podcast, we are going to be talking about important tasks to do before you start recording your song. Hello, friend. Welcome to another episode of the Songwriter Theory Podcast. I am your host, as always, Joseph Vidala. Honored that you take some time out of your busy week to talk songwriting with me. In this case, though, we're talking about recording our songs or more specifically what we should do before we start recording our songs. Because if we jump in too quickly with recording, we can sort of trap ourselves in an unfortunate circumstance that can make recording far more frustrating than it needs to be. Let's dive right in. First thing to do, make a MIDI song outline. What on earth is a MIDI song outline? Well, it's an outline of your whole song. That part is probably intuitive. Where you only record MIDI instruments. So don't record direct line in bass. Don't record acoustic guitar or electric guitar. Don't, if, if anything you're recording involves a microphone, don't record it yet. First, only record some MIDI instruments. And even if you don't plan to utilize much or any MIDI in your final song, let's say your final song is going to be only electric guitar, bass, and drums, right? You're just doing hard rock music and you're not doing a single thing with MIDI instruments. It's all quote unquote real instruments. That's fine. Then keep this really bare bones. You only really need one instrument for this and you can throw it away after because the purpose of this is not necessarily anything but to help you figure out the right key and the right tempo for your song before you get into recording it. So the beauty of anything recorded in MIDI is if you change the tempo, it just automatically changes all the MIDI that goes along with it. So if you record a piano part utilizing MIDI, using a synth or keyboard, and let's say you record it at 120 beats per minute, all you have to do, if you find out 120 is too draggy, all you have to do is change the beats per minute to 128, and the whole file just changes. And because MIDI is information rather than an actual recording of sound, because really MIDI is just information about what happened, and then it's that information runs through whatever your MIDI instrument is, whatever your VST is, let's say it's a, a piano synth, then it takes the information and then figures out what the piano would sound like based on that information. So it's not actually an audio file. So that makes it so that you can change the key of it later or change the beats per minute tempo of it later and not be punished for it. So overall... The reason we want to do this is before we start recording instruments that would be a pain in the butt to change key or change tempo, we want to make sure we have an outline of our song. 
And then we want to sing along to that outline of our song and figure out, okay, is this a good tempo? Is it a little draggy or is it maybe a little fast? We start running out of breath. It's kind of hard to sing, hard to keep up. Or maybe your song just goes a little too long for your liking at a certain beats per minute. So you try it at a slightly faster speed to see if you can get the time down. Maybe it's four and a half minutes. You'd like to keep it four minutes for some reason. Uh, I wouldn't recommend generally making too many accommodations just to try to fit into an arbitrary amount of time that you want your song to be. Uh, but some, sometimes maybe maybe it's appropriate to at least try it out. So the beauty of a MIDI song outline is you can change pretty much anything about the song and the MIDI stays the same. And it will just work. And it doesn't become a big problem. Unlike, say, if you record a guitar and then you determine that you want it to be, instead of in C major, you want it to be in D major. Yeah, you can technically pitch it up too, but it's almost definitely going to sound wonky and terrible. So you're just going to have to re-record the whole thing, which is a ton more work. You don't want to have to do that, which leads us into thing number two to do. Make sure it's in the right key. So you have this MIDI song outline. Take advantage of it because it's amazing the difference that just a half step down or up can make, especially for a vocalist. If you wrote the song in F major and it seems to work well, I'd at least test E major, one half step down, and F sharp major. If F is clearly a better fit vocally, fine, stick with it, great. But if E major or F sharp major sounded better or made it easier for you to hit the notes the way you want, then go a step farther. If F sharp was actually more comfortable as it was easier to hit the high notes in a way that it was belted and strong because that can happen. A lot of people think like, oh, you would always just try to change the key downward so that it's more comfortable to sing. But it's not necessarily always true that down is the way to go. Sometimes up is actually more comfortable or up will make it so that because, because we all have places in our range where we really can nail a high note and, and belt it and it will sound powerful. But then there's like that weird middle range where like it's usually not super powerful for us to belt the note, but it's not really in our like very mid-range, strong baritone range, assuming you're a baritone for a second here, but whatever your voice type is, right? Whatever your sort of bread and butter area of singing that for most verses you would probably sing there, it's very comfortable for you, your voice sounds rich there. But we all sort of have that area that's in between the super epic when we belt range and then the range that is just comfortable mid-range for us. So sometimes if your sort of money note for the song is is not high enough, it will kind of sound lame because it's it's not high enough for you to truly belt it and make it sound as epic as it could. So don't discount the idea that maybe your song is is too low and it actually needs to be pitched up. So if F sharp, going back to example, we started at F major. Let's say F sharp is actually more comfortable as it was easier to hit the stronger high notes. Now, now go one step farther, right? Because if F sharp was better than F, who's to say that maybe one step more might be even better? Try G major. If even that sounds better or feels better to you as a vocalist, maybe consider it taking it even a step farther, right? 
generally with all of these things, you, you want to take it until you go too far and then dial it back. And this part may be obvious, but let's just talk about it really quick, just in case. Once you've recorded a song in a key, it's a lot of work to re-record it in a different key. So this is why this is very important, to make sure it's in the right key before, let's say you record, like, I don't know, eight electric guitars and a bass guitar part, and you edit them so that they're nice and tight and the rhythm is all really good. And then you also have, have like a mic'd piano and you record that and you record the drums, which that wouldn't be a problem for tempo, but it, um, and it wouldn't be a problem for key either, I guess. So just, so drums wouldn't really matter, but, and then you call your friend and say, Hey, can you throw a violin part in here? Now all that work goes in the dumpster because yeah, I, maybe you could get away with pitch shifting it all up by a half step or down by a half step, but probably not. There's really very little pitch correction you can do on instruments that doesn't start sounding kind of wonky really fast. So, so we want to make sure that this is really the right key before we take the time to start recording it. Not to mention the key that a song is recorded in is always the standard any live performance is measured against. You may have noticed in the past with artists you like perhaps that, oh, they, they took it a half step down or, wow, they really, it feels like he's not hitting the same high note that they usually hit in this song. Or, oh, she can't actually hit the high notes anymore, right? Uh, all of those comments come from there was a recording in a certain key, and then they had to bring the key down by a half step or a whole step or maybe even something like a third just so that the vocalist could perform it live. Generally, that's not great. It's not a great thing to do. Very, It certainly is never look, looked upon. Uh, it's, it's always looked at like it's cheating, frankly. Um and you may say, well, you know, I'm not going to be some superstar where people would notice or care. And fair enough. But still, if you release a recording, in theory, a recording is like the definitive version of your song. So things to consider when figuring out what is the right key. First thing and probably most important thing is vocal range and comfort. How does your voice sound in the vocal range of the song? Sometimes a half step is the difference between nailing a high note and struggling to hit it or nailing it and struggling to muster that much power for a lower note because the high note isn't high enough, as we talked about before. Sometimes you're scraping the bottom of your range, and sometimes just something as small as a half step down can allow you to be in a pitch range that just makes your voice sound that much better or more comfortable or thicker sounding. So... Don't underestimate how much little adjustments in the key can make a difference. Another thing is the, the instrument sound. Sometimes the piano, if it gets a little bit too low, it starts to get kind of muddy. Or if it's a little too high, it gets a little too piercing and tinny sounding. Sometimes you might have a situation where you have an awkward key instrumentally. Let's say you keep your guitars in drop D tuning but then your song is actually an E flat. That's not bad because it's just now instead of your lowest chord that you're probably going to play being the D 
from drop D, which is going to be open. Now, instead, you're going to be on the first fret for E flat. So maybe if it just was in D major or D minor, like probably most of your other songs when you're utilizing drop D, it's now awkwardly in E flat instead, which again, not necessarily a problem, but it's worth at least figuring out, eh, should this just be in D? Because we already keep our guitars in drop D. It kind of makes sense to stick with D major and D minor rather than E flat. Even more so, though, if it's something where it's like C sharp or D flat. Right now it's really awkward because the main chord of your song, the root of your song, would be a D flat or C sharp which you can't even play except way up the fret. On the 11th fret is where you would have to play that power chord if your guitar is in drop D. And not necessarily a problem, but a little wonky and weird. Usually you would want to see if you could get it to work in D. And then lastly, live. If you play live shows and keep your guitars in, let's say, drop C sharp, and then you have one song that needs drop C, that could be a pain to replicate live, right? What are you going to do? Just take a little break and everybody tunes their guitars down by a whole half step in the middle of a performance? That's probably unideal, right? So, so if you're just going to play it in C sharp live, then, well, let's see if we can also have that be the definitive version of the song and record it in C-sharp as well. Next is make sure it's the right tempo. When I try to figure out the right tempo as an instrumentalist, I pretty much always settle on a faster tempo than me, the vocalist, would want or feel comfortable with. If you've ever played in a band, you may have noticed that this is a tendency. It's probably not always a tendency, but... Usually, instrumentalists want to go faster than the vocalist can go or is comfortable for the vocalist. The tendency is, is what vocalists really need and what will make vocals shine often feels slightly draggy to instrumentalists. Not always the case, but it's a tendency I've noticed. It's important that vocals win. If it's too fast for the vocals, it's too fast. If it's too draggy for the vocals, it's too slow. Vocals are the main thing that stands out in a song. Frankly, if it feels like the piano part drags a little bit, but the vocals are perfect at a certain tempo, nobody's going to notice the, what you think is a slightly draggy piano part. But if the vocalist is out of breath and it feels unnatural and it feels like they can barely fit the words in, that everybody's going to notice and will single-handedly destroy the song. So for right tempo, make sure vocals trumps everything else. Always defer to the vocals. And even tiny tempo changes would, rec would require significant editing to real instruments or total re-recording of a song, just like with the key change. So this is why it's important to figure this out before we dive into really recording our songs. Don't underestimate the difference that two beats per minute makes. So I'm going to give you two quick methods to find tempo. One, jump around with numbers divisible by four. So like 100, 104, 96, 120, 116, 124, 128, those type of numbers. 
until you find the best one. Then go up and down by two. So for example, let's say you start at 120, which is a decent one to start with as a guess. But it feels fast. So you go down to 116. 116 feels fast too. Okay, so you go down by four again. 112 feels better, but what about 108? Okay, 108 now feels draggy. So now you want to dial it back, right? You went too far. That's fine. You found the edge. Dial it back. Think as a guitarist, think of this as the best way to tune is when you actually pitch it a little sharp and then bring it back down, right? So you tune it so it's a little sharp and bring it back down. Very common for guitarists to tune that way. This is sort of the same thing, but with beats per minute, and then you should do the same type thing when it comes to figuring out the key for your song too. Go until you've gone too far and then dial it back. So 108 drags. So now you try 110 and compare it to 112. Which one feels better? Does 110 feel better than 112? Or was 112 something that's divisible by four? Did that just happen to be perfect? You can even go one step farther and try by one beats per minute. Frankly, I don't do that. The most I ever break it down into is two. Um, but but even even two can can make a difference. It's usually very subtle at that point. But generally speaking, start with a tempo that seems reason, reasonable. Go up or down by four until you've gone too far, either too fast or too slow, and then dial it back and usually dial it back try going up and down by two. Another thing that's important to note here, does it feel right for all the song sections? Because sometimes you need to come up with a compromise because sometimes it feels like the perfect tempo for the verse is 108 and the perfect tempo for the chorus is 112. So maybe you want to meet in the middle and have the whole song at 110. Maybe also you just want to have that very subtle tempo change that actually is in your song and it is in your recording. This tends to be very not common these days with like most most songs at this point are one beats, one tempo beats per minute across the board. Um, I did tempo changes in the first album I did and have regretted it ever since. And I haven't re-released some of those songs literally because I detest the tempo changes that much. Uh, now, I went a little too far with the tempo changes as well. But for the record. When in doubt, just don't don't do tempo changes. Can they work? Yes. But most of the time, most of the time, your song probably works perfectly well with one tempo the whole time. Not always going to be a thing, but the vast majority of songs do that. Second method. This method is going to get you there maybe faster, and oftentimes the best is to actually combine the two of these. So... To find the tempo another way, sing your song and then utilize a click to find tempo website or app or something like that. For the record, there's beatsperminuteonline.com, which you literally can click your mouse at a tempo and it will tell you what the beats per minute is. So best thing of all is to combine the two. So go to beatsperminuteonline.com, sing your song, click the tempo, and then use that tempo as your starting place for the first method we talked about. So if you figure out that it says, oh, you're at like 103 beats per minute, round it up to something divisible by four, try 104, and make sure, right? Go to 100. Does it feel like it starts to drag? No? 
huh, that's interesting. Go to 96. Now does it feel like it starts to drag? Oh, yeah, super draggy. Okay, so maybe it was more like 102, 100, somewhere in there. And then just repeat the process that we just talked about. Usually first starting with numbers divisible by four and then up and down by two instead of by four. Arguably, you could skip the four parts just because of the click to find tempo is going to give you a pretty precise tempo right away. But that is going to be based on how you sang the song that one time. Sometimes, sometimes a certain day you feel a faster tempo than other days. This is another thing. This is not one of the tips I wrote down, but just as a bonus thing. I highly recommend never, ever, ever figure out key and beats per minute in a single day and stick to that. Always, always, always sleep on it at least once and come back the next day and see if it still feels right. There have been times where I thought, oh, 128 is the perfect beats per minute. And then I went back the next day and I'm like, what was wrong with me yesterday? This is way too fast. And I ended up being more like 122. So it's important to have some separation between figuring out the right key and the right tempo and actually recording. Make sure if you sleep on it one day and you sleep on it another day, make sure it still feels right to you. Also, if if you're vocally really tired, maybe you have a cold and your pitch range isn't what it normally is, then you're probably going to default to a lower key than you normally at full health would want to have it in. So it's important for figuring out the key of your song as well for that reason, right? Or or maybe you you try to figure out the tempo and key of your song right after you did a choir concert or something, a performance, right? And you are vocally really warmed up. You are on because you just sang for just long enough and you did vocal warm-ups that day and you had sung for long enough that you're vocally warmed up, not so long that you're exhausted, so you're in the zone vocally. You know, uh, maybe you're in peak vocal form. I don't know if you should base the key of your song on you being perfectly warmed up because maybe this is the first song that you would sing live. You know, you're not always going to be perfectly vocally warmed up. That's up to you, right? Maybe you do want to select the keys of your songs based on you on a perfect day. Uh, But it might be more wise to base it on you on a normal day rather than peak vocal form day. We all have those days where we could hit crazy high notes that are, you know, maybe a second or even a third higher than we normally could repeatedly, there we go, (laughs) repeatedly sing. Uh, But that doesn't mean we should be like, oh, time to write a song where I hit that note. Like, well, but that day was just a day where you're particularly on. It's like why you don't sign a wide receiver to crazy contract money just because they had one game at the end of the season where they score where they score two touchdowns and get 150 yards, right? It's one game. Anybody can have the one game. Or Nick Foles could have that one playoff run with the Eagles. Doesn't mean that you should hand him a big contract. Anyway, there's a sports analogy for you. So, last thing. Lyric polishing. When you're practicing your vocals for your recording, which, by the way, you should do, this, again, could seem obvious, but I think a lot of people don't do this, so it's worth saying. Probably don't go into the recording booth to record vocals without practicing for at least a week, hopefully more weeks than that, your vocals. Just because you wrote the song doesn't mean 
you're going to be practiced on how to sing that song. It's actually very easy to write a song and not practice singing that song, or at least not practice singing that song in the key that you end up deciding to have the song in. It's very easy to do that, especially with recording these days where, for me, I often record a rudimentary melody or 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 just like a, a first version melody with an instrument that isn't even my voice. I like to write melodies with a keyboard rather than my own voice. I just feel that I write better melodies that way. Of course, I have to sing it as well to make sure that I'm not writing something that I can't sing or that isn't comfortable to sing. But I find I just write more interesting melodies that way. So it's really easy for me to write an entire song, including with a vocal melody and lyrics, and I theoretically could have never actually sung it, or rarely sung it, except to test it out. That's taking it a bit to the extreme, but my point is, make sure you're practicing before you, you jump into the recording booth to record your vocals, which is the most important part of a song and the one part of a song that will make or break it. If your vocals are terrible in a song, nobody's going to hear past that to hear, oh, it's actually a good song if you ignore that the vocals are a mess. Nobody, nobody does that. Vocals are it. You, you can get away with kind of crap sounding piano. You can get away with, I mean, I mean, just think lo-fi, right? Lo-fi is almost intentionally not great sounding music. Sort of. That's obviously simplif- simplistic, of course. But, but people are very forgiving with, oh, that guitar doesn't sound perfect. Like it's c- coming out of an amp right next to my ear. People are pretty forgiving about this stuff. They're not very forgiving when it comes to vocals. So anyway, when you're practicing your vocals for your recording, are there rough spots where the lyrics really don't seem to work? Does the third line of your second verse just feel off or kind of forced, like you jammed two more syllables in there than it was meant to hold? Or, or does it feel like it cuts off too soon and it just feels like you just quit singing before the phrase was actually over? Now is the time to resolve that. Smooth over any lyrical imperfections that just don't work in the real world. Don't phone in the changes and make the line worse, but put the effort in to really make your lyrics get better while their fit also gets better. If you've grabbed my six-step lyric writing checklist, you may recognize this as the last step of that checklist. The only part of that process, the only item from the checklist that is not an active process per se, because a lot of songs you might finish and they don't need any lyric polishing, and it's not something that you actively seek out to do unless you sing your song and you're like, man, something feels a little bit off. This is really meant to massage out any imperfections that you might not have caught until you actually had to repeatedly sing it and you realize it just doesn't work quite as well in the real world as it did on paper. Because sometimes there are times where the way you wrote the lyrics seem seem like it would work. The meter feels about right. Maybe you cheated the syllables by one or maybe even two, but you thought that it could work. But then when you try to sing it, it just doesn't work. So this is the time to go back and be like, okay, maybe I do need to change this lineup a little bit because it's just not working. Or maybe there's a word that when I specifically sing it at the note that I'm singing in that part of the melody, it just doesn't sound right. It feels weird 
and it just doesn't work. This is the time, if there's anything that feels unnatural when you record or when you listen to your vocals that you're singing along, preferably you're singing them along to your MIDI song outline so it is in the right tempo and the right key that you are currently honing in on. Or even more ideally, at this point, you already figured that stuff out and you have the whole recording ready and you're saving vocals for last, so you already have the whole arrangement and everything, and you're just practicing to the full arrangement of your song. Hopefully, you're keeping your ears tuned to, wait, did that feel unnatural to sing? Did that feel wrong? Does it feel like it? it's a fully professional song until the fourth line of the chorus, and then it just feels there's something wrong. I don't quite know what it is, but something about the words doesn't quite work. As I talk about in the lyric checklist, overall lyric polishing is basically a willingness to adjust lyrics that you largely consider done now that they're in the real world, right? Now that you're actually trying to sing them, actually trying to record them, you realize, okay, I thought this lyric was done, but something's a little off. Usually there's going to be very few changes like this. Frankly, if you did iterative lyric editing right, which is the fifth step, uh, probably this is going to happen fairly rarely, maybe one every four or five songs you'll have to actually make adjustments. But regardless, this is the time. You don't want to listen back to your recording and try to justify to yourself, oh, no, it dips. That bridge doesn't sound awkward vocally. It doesn't feel like I shoved two extra syllables in that line. You don't want to get there. Fix it before you record it. And on that note, if you haven't already, be sure to check out my six-step lyric writing checklist, songwritertheory.com slash lyric checklist. It'll walk you through idea all the way to lyric that you can be proud of in six steps. Breaks it down so that you don't have to deal with the whole dreaded staring at a blank page saying, what do I write? And maybe even worse, the fact that I feel like a lot of lyricists ask themselves to effectively improvise poetry, which is what you're asking of yourself when you stare at a blank page and expect yourself to just write lyrics and then also expect those lyrics you write to be at least decent or pretty good. You're basically asking yourself to improvise poetry, which is, uh, I'd call it insane, but maybe it's not that far, but it's it's asking a lot of yourself. Uh, and then we're setting ourselves up to fail. Right? We, we don't want to set ourselves up to fail. We're imperfect. We want to minimize our imperfections in our songwriting. We don't want to maximize them. So the six-step lyric writing checklist is to be able to more repeatedly get great results with our lyrics that pass the frame test so that if you printed them out, put them in a frame, put them on your wall. People would walk by and be like, oh, wow, this is a really great poem. Who who wrote this? Is this Henry David Thoreau? Who who wrote this? And then you'd be like, no, that's me. That's one of my songs. Uh, okay, maybe not that far, but hopefully it's more like that than if uh, you know somebody put WAP into a frame and put it on the wall. And then people would either be really offended, appropriately so, or they would uh, just be like, what is this trash? Is this a joke? Like, is it supposed to be funny? I don't get it. You don't want your reaction or other people's reaction to your lyrics to be that. You want your lyrics to be something you can be proud of that are good without the crutch 
of a great melody and great music. Of course, you also want to have great melody and great music and chords and riffs and hooks and all that. But you don't want your lyrics to need those to hide its imperfections. So be sure to grab that, songwritertheory.com slash lyric checklist, totally free. Thank you so much for listening. Hopefully this was helpful to you. I know this is a little bit different, but sometimes people will send me emails asking about recording or if I'm ever going to talk about recording. I mostly want to stick on the songwriting and even arranging side of things, Uh, music theory, lyric writing, all that kind of thing. There are great resources out there already for recording. I recommend Recording Revolution. Graham Cochran's a great guy and everybody else that's currently recording videos for Recording Revolution are also seem fantastic. Uh, that's frankly what I used back in the day to learn how to record in high quality at home. Uh, so Recording Revolution, great resource on YouTube for you if you're trying to figure out, say, how, how do I make a studio in my house for under 300 bucks where I can record songs that sound great. Recording Revolution is your place to go. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while and you enjoy it and get something from it, if hopefully this has been a worthy use of your time where you feel like more episodes than not, you learn something that you can integrate into your songwriting and helps you become a better songwriter. Best thing you can do to help me out is to leave a kind review on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. That is the best way to help me out. I appreciate every single one of you who have taken the time to do that. I see those reviews. I appreciate that. But regardless, have a great week and I will talk to you in the next one.